0: Hello, and thank you for joining the Dr. Whisperer podcast. I am your host, Sharon Feckety. I am the Dr. Whisperer, and I am so happy that you chose this podcast to listen to when there are so many choices out there. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider writing a review or typing one, shall I say, and sharing it with somebody who might benefit or enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As I um, have mentioned to my guest before I hit record today, um, this, this topic is too important to only uh, showcase on the broken road to mental health, so you're also going to hear this on The Doctor Whisper, because I think that um, the business of medicine is is long and uh, a hard road, and I think that uh, we get a better understanding when we educate our, our patients, when we educate uh, our colleagues in the industry and those that are not in the industry. Um, psychiatry and mental health is near and dear to my heart. If you've followed any of the shows, you'll understand that. I won't go into why, but I think that uh, this particular conversation in this time is a vital one. So I would like to welcome to the show Corinne Nawal. He is a certified TMS specialist, CEO, and director of research. Um, at the TMS Advantage um, practice. And listen, he went to med school. So um, and I'm so excited that like he's not <laughs> practicing medicine. I don't care how that sounds, people. We need <laughs> more, more people in business that have taken um, a focus on not just psychiatry and mental health, but also on marketing and understanding business so we can really reach as many patients as possible. So with that, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate you guys having me.
0: Yes, I'm very excited to have this conversation. So I know what TMS is, um, and we're going to have a conversation about TMS, but I would like to start this conversation today by explaining to the audience what TMS is.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, transcranial magnetic stimulation is a non-invasive neuromodulation therapy used to treat mental health disorders. Um, and currently, we are treating for symptoms uh, uh, to correlate with major depressive disorder, as well as anxiety-based disorders. Um, What TMS does is not what people think sometimes in terms of shock therapy, that's electroconvulsive therapy that's completely different. What we're doing is using magnetic frequency to modulate neural activity in the brain. So there's more of a communication taking place among certain regions of your brain. When we talk about the logical brain, the emotional brain and other parts of it as well. But in a long scheme of things, what TMS is trying to do is create an antidepressant effect or an anxiolytic effect and modulate that neurochemical activity. We always say depression is a chemical imbalance, which in actuality, it's true. But in reality, mental health disorders are an uh, electrochemical imbalance, if you will. Our brain is this mush of energy that's chemically based and energy based. So by theory, we're using energy, or in this case, magnetic frequency from the powers of magnets to create this level of electrochemical balance and to alleviate a patient's symptoms.
0: Okay. So this might be um, a little bit of a a challenging conversation that um, I did not foresee happening. It's this topic of it being a chemical imbalance. So Mm -hmm. um, as a sober woman, 27 years, telling my story in 12-step recovery rooms, I started, you know, I always start by telling everybody how I had severe depression in my first year and I was suicidal. And thank goodness that I met a psychiatrist that told me I had a chemical imbalance and then I needed medication in order to relieve my symptoms. Sure. And that, that was true. I'm using bunny ears if you're watching, if you're listening, mm-hmm. that's what's happening. Sure. And then um, I... I never really questioned why for somebody like me that I could take that prescribed medication, feel better after six months with 12-step recovery, with having um, a therapist that I was seeing every Tuesday. And I have yet to take anything since that time. I'm 49 today. And that was when I was 21 years old. But I had to incorporate a lot of different modalities in order to lift that depression so but that story of the chemical imbalance I don't necessarily a hundred percent believe that today because if that's the truth I would have had to stay on medication so this I certainly didn't expect to have this conversation with you Uh, I think it's important I think that we um because if I believe that story that Mm -hmm. I had a chemical imbalance in my brain I might have thought to stay on medication this entire time. Right. Um, and I will admit to you today that um, it wasn't until I released my book in 2019, and I, I read Johan Hari's book, The Lost Connections, that a lot of my depression was related to trauma.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So maybe we could just touch on that a little bit, uh, a little bit of, of why, why we talk about this chemical imbalance so much.
1: Absolutely. And first off, Sharon, I just want to say congrats again on your recovery and for what you've done. It's a testament to your will and and your strength and keep doing what you're doing. Um, To touch on the chemical imbalance side of things, you know, let's look at what medications do Mm -hmm. and to understand what's going on there. And also, let's look at what depression and anxiety really is. Um, I always say to all of our patients that come into our office, any mental health disorder, no matter what it is, there's a common theme amongst them, which is, the brain is having a lack of processing or a lack of connect- connectivity, if you will. Information is being transferred from one part of your brain to the other through all these neurons. And then information has to be processed. So for example, if somebody has gone through some trauma, if they were in a severe car accident, and every time they've passed by that intersection or location where they've had that accident, there is some sort of response that we start to have some anxiety or panic that's gonna happen again. Irrational thoughts occur. Because what ends up happening is your brain starts to send a signal to this anxiety center to say, Hey, look, we're in danger. It's fight or flight time. And there's a chemical interaction taking place. We're talking about brain hormones and neurotransmitters, norepinephrine specifically um, in some cases, not enough GABA, right? Um, Not enough serotonin or even dopamine. So there's this effect chemically taking place, but also the brain's frequency level or, or, or in this case, Um, activity level is also being changed a bit too. Now to go back to the chemical imbalance, what ends up happening is, and we look at our brain as a creature of habit. You know, we as humans are creatures of routine. So our brain works the same way. It has associations, it has routines, it has structure. That's why we sleep when it's dark, right? Circadian rhythm is a big part of what we do too as in terms of of being healthy. So along the same lines, the brain tends to make this a, a, a new normal. Anxiety becomes a practice routine, and subconsciously we get better and better and better at it. So that chemical imbalance becomes more of a permanent thing, or not not familiar phrase, not permanent, but more of a consistency in your brain in terms of neurotransmitters being up and down or imbalanced in this case. And our brain starts to identify with anxiety as the new normal. That's why when somebody suffers from depression or anxiety or OCD for however many years, and other disorders too, They become better and better at having those symptoms, not intentionally, but their brain has practiced that neurological process again and again and again. And what medications are doing is trying to modulate that through chemical compounds. And the reason people have side effects in medications is because they're chemical compounds. They're affecting the metabolic profile of your body. So now not only are you trying to change your brain chemistry, your body's chemistry is changing a bit. Side effects from uh, medications that we normally take for depression, such as your Zoloft or Prozac, um, or even Effexor. What normally happens to some people, they may have some nausea, some headaches. So there's that chemical imbalance taking place physically, but in a mental standpoint too. Now, it's very rare to have somebody say, I'm on Lexapro for 20 years and I feel fantastic. Right. right? We, never, we never really hear that mm-hmm. because once again, our brain gets used to this chemical interaction. Right. It understands that there is this chemical compound taking place that's that's trying to change the level of of, of neurochemical activity in this place, uh, uh, and and we tend to have this sensitivity or or acclimation to these medications, mm-hmm. and that's why you don't really see people take something for twenty years and feel perfectly fine with it. Our body will eventually desensitize to that medication effect, and we'll need something else. So that imbalance becomes even more of a pathology. So mm-hmm. now we're talking about treatment-resistant depression treatment resistant anxiety. And that's a whole separate ballgame because now you're talking about somebody who's not responding to your uh, you know, typical approach of, of treating somebody with depression and anxiety. So that chemical imbalance furthers and uh, furthers and furthers. And, and, and now you're talking about somebody who needs to look at some other approaches. Um, just to touch on therapy, by the way, counseling. When somebody undergoes any type of counseling, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy, There is a chemical balance taking place with that um, as well, because you're being given this resource in a cognitive state, being told to apply this perspective. So your brain has to facilitate that connection. So once again, the balance is taking place or imbalance, if you will. So I hope that answers your question a bit.
0: Oh, totally. So one of the reasons that um, I love TMS, and I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation today, is because I do... I do wish that this was something that was in existence when I was suffering because there was really only, you know, first of all, the internet wasn't around. So that we're aging myself. Right. So it wasn't like, I I interview a lot of people today that are sober curious, or, you know, it's like people are getting sober on Instagram today, right. right? Or, or they're getting help for their mental health by using an app. Right. And, and there's, I'm very open-minded to all of that. I, I've been uh, practicing on my own uh, journey for so long that I'm, I'm so open to whatever helps somebody, helps somebody, right? Mm-hmm. But something that is, is really focused on trying to stay away from the medication. Now, I'm very careful to say that like, listen, if it wasn't for that Prozac 20 milligrams, I don't know if I'd be here today. If it was sure. possible or not, it doesn't matter it worked sure. right yeah. but it also worked because i was seeing a therapist and i was going to 12-step recovery i was not just taking a pill and thinking i'm good um mm-hmm. oh you know, i don't have to do any more work so much work to feel good right <laughs> so um the thing i love about tms is that it's you're you're really with the patient because you're with the patient five days a week
1: mm-hmm.
0: for um what seven to eight weeks Right. Um, there's a, a, really thorough consultation happening, a really uh, good understanding of who the person is, what types of medication, what has worked, what has not worked. So you can really have like a patient centered focus. plan, right. Right? right. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what that looks like for the patient that has been on so many different medications through the years and says, all right, well, I want to know more about TMS. What happens when they come to your office?
1: of course, of course. Um, and, and, you know, to, to touch on what you're saying, uh, just for, for a moment, there has to be a comprehensive approach in any type of mental health care. Yes. You know, if, if you say I'm going to try this app because I'm dealing with something and, and, and try this life coach on Instagram, which once again, I'm, I'm open-minded just like you are about these right. things, but there has to be a clinical approach. And that's where, you know, TMS really shines because there's a objective uh, perspective to all of this. Mm-hmm. So to answer your point, um, what would normally happens is when a patient comes into our office or requests, you know, information on TMS, we'll have the patient submit information on what exactly, you know, their uh, diagnosis is, medication trials, a little bit of a, a, a basic intake, um, mm-hmm. and we'll run insurance benefits too to make sure there's coverage for them if they're going through insurance. And then there's a consultation with me. Um, and usually at that time, what I do is to screen the patient to see if they're a candidate for TMS, because there are some contraindications, which I'll talk about. But long story short, the patient comes in. We want to see if there's any uh, reasons we can not do treatment, what their history is, to understand what their background is, how long they've been suffering from what they've been suffering from, what have they tried, what has worked, what hasn't worked, um, and, and to understand the person a bit more. Because once again, a patient will always be a patient, but there's always a story behind what the patient is, is bringing to you. And to understand that, I think it requires more of a personal approach. And you're right, you know, patients who are with us for seven to eight weeks. So when that consultation occurs, we have to know, is this patient going to benefit from TMS or is something else uh, needed at this time, such as somebody going through uh, some sort of uh, pathology of addiction? You Mm -hmm. know, as as amazing as TMS is, you know, we have to do things in the right order. You can't, you know, uh, go do physical therapy if your arm is still broken and you haven't had surgery, right? So the same approach applies here. Um, If somebody has an addiction, history and they're currently abusing substances at that time, we say, let's do rehabilitation first. Let's go to a recovery center first, and then let's talk about TMS. For those patients that are candidates, once they come into our program, we verify everything, make sure everything checks out. I get a basic understanding of what their diagnosis is. And on top of that, I also look at their protocols, which is really important because Mm -hmm. the way I describe it is this, the FDA clearance for TMS is for depression. Insurance covers it for depression. But that protocol is not going to work for everybody, right? It's like saying Lexapro will work for all these patients with anxiety and depression. It doesn't work that way. Right. So we look at the protocols too. Could we apply something more off label, such as a low frequency, a different location. So we also look at that. Then once the patient's in the treatment, they're here five days a week for a half hour per day for about six weeks. Then week seven and eight, we do my my, uh, basic taper because you're coming off a, quote unquote, medication, which is the TMS, we don't, we don't want to stop things abruptly, right? And it also gives us a chance to monitor how the patient does during that taper to see how much they, how well they do without TMS. Um, and this requires a lot of due diligence. So when you're with them, like you said, for a half hour per day, you get to know, is this patient interested in writing, music? Um, just to give you an example, one of our patients, our first year doing this, I still remember, I love talking to this guy, so catch up with him every now and then. He used to be a writer for a famous TV show. I can't disclose which, um, but also, you know, loved to play his guitar. And those two things really stuck out. So one thing we made him do was every week was just write a blurb. His yeah. depression really wow. limited him from writing anything. So we had him write a couple of things on a notepad. And by week three and week four, those little blurbs and paragraphs became short stories. Mm-hmm. So we understood, okay, we're, we're working on the behavioral activation side of things. We're pushing him a little bit too, because we got to know him better. On top of it, he's a big you know, music junkie. So told him to take his guitar out since he told me how much he loved his guitar. He took it out of his closet, left it in front of his, his, you know, his peripheral vision in his home, and eventually about five weeks and started playing it again. So these things clinically help us. We do intake. We do measures. We do all these scales. But this type of psychiatric information really speaks volumes. It's what we notate to say, okay, the patient is doing this, this, and this.
0: They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. Tie Technology rocks.
1: On top of that, when you're in the program, we offer group therapy. Mm. Um, individual therapy is always recommended, but group therapy is there as a resource. Why? Your brain's starting to make these connections. You're starting to rationalize and logically approach things. You're being more motivated. You want to take advantage of the day. You're having more energy. Let's take full advantage of it. Let's talk about mindfulness. Let's talk about radical acceptance. Let's mm-hmm. talk about dietary uh, solutions. We have nutritionists jump into our group sessions every couple of weeks to talk to you guys about food for a better mood, less inflammatory diets, healthier eating. Dr. Rizzo, my partner, will jump in once every couple of sessions to talk about medications and what they do and, and, and how to approach it with TMS. Because these questions are always going to be there, and we figured, what better way to answer these questions um, than using a commun- communal setting like this on Zoom, which we've done for you know four years now. Um, and I, love that, that, I love that.
0: I love that. Let me just say that um, you know, working with a lot of uh, psychiatrists over the years, sometimes really all they have time for is medication management, and right. even though they they know that if you um, if your diet consists of donuts and candy um, and ice cream, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, sounds good, right? Um, <laughs> and then you're taking this medication, you know, it's difficult. And and a lot of people don't really understand how much nutrition and mindfulness and exercise benefit. Um, and I, I do think that there needs to be more of a whole body approach versus just right. true because you're not... As much as you're treating the depression or treating the anxiety or treating the OCD there's so much more going on and um, I know that before uh, we hit record today we were just talking about you know the world that we're living in today sure and one of the when I ask all the psychiatrists and mental health healers that I work with um, what is the biggest complaint what is the biggest and everybody says anxiety yeah uh, across the board so How, how is, so do you treat anxiety is my first question. And then mm-hmm. what does that look like with TMS?
1: Sure. Um, and, well, to answer your question, yes, we do treat anxiety. Um, as far as how it looks, it's a different protocol. And what that really means is, um, I'll kind of put it in layman terms. If we talk about depression, or we're talking about bipolar depression and depression overall Think of the Latin prefix of the word depression. It means slow. Mm-hmm. If something has a depressant effect, it slows your brain down. Marijuana is a depressant. Yeah. Alcohol is a depressant, mm-hmm. right? So when somebody has anxiety, we're talking about a very fast brain. So to keep it simple, your brain working way too fast, aka anxiety, OCD, in some cases, PTSD, in some cases, panic disorder, ADHD, or it's working way too slow. AK depression. So from, from that perspective, you know, if we look at what's happening in terms of activity in the brain, we're using TMS to complement the effects of what's not taking place. Yeah. So if we're trying to treat depression, we want to increase the activity of the brain in terms of neurons communicating. I always tell patients, it's like, you know, look at 275, the interstate we have here in Tampa Bay. If it's like four cars going 40 miles an hour, that's depression. Those yeah. cars are your neurotransmitters. There's not enough of that traffic, not enough speed of that traffic. Mm-hmm. Whereas anxiety is 275 with 1,000 cars going 100 miles an hour, which is kind of how it feels every day. But the point is, my <laughs> point is that the that, that traffic is very inconsistent. There's an imbalance of that traffic. Yeah. So, to answer your point again, with TMS, we're trying to create this stabilizing effect or slow things down. The mm-hmm. frequency is a little lower, it's one hertz frequency, it's repetitive. It's one pulse per second, and it has a very mood-stabilizing effect. I always describe our anxiety protocol as kind of like your Xanax or lithium. It has a very mood-stabilizing effect where it slows things down. Whereas our left side treatment for depression, which is a standard protocol for depression, which is in that left frontal area, um, that's a higher frequency. That's 10 hertz. That's very activating. And I always describe that to be more like your stimulants, like your Adderall or your Lexapro's. Uh, to be specific. So if that answers your question.
0: Yeah, totally. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking about, I hope, I hope is there's a person out there listening to me that is going Mm -hmm. to see their primary care doctor for their depression or their anxiety, that they really, this is nothing against primary care doctors. I just know that it is such a specialized modality. It's such a specialized thing mental health and it has so many different there's so many variables right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i can in my mind i'm thinking of five people right now that i know that go to see their primary care they say they have anxiety they give them a pill yeah they go or you know it's medical marijuana or it's and you know i really think that if we would take the time if mental health is a bitch <laughs> right? Like it is this is no joke this is the this is everything right what's happening I agree. Our lives, right it is everything it is it gets you out of bed it will get you to work or not get you to work it will get you to show up for that party that you were invited to that you don't want to go to this mm-hmm. is a lot of work sure. so we really have to if we really want to get better right mm-hmm. we're going to have to spend the time with the specialists that understand how complex this
1: percent right. 100%, 100%. Can you feel me? <laughs> I can feel you, Sharon. I will say, you know what, to touch on what you're saying, um, I can't tell you how many times when I go on LinkedIn or any networking events that I'm starting to meet these individuals called life coaches. And mm-hmm. I'm not against that profession. do no, But there's especially
0: when they're 21. I'm kidding. Correct.
1: Correct. Okay. Well, here's the thing. When you're in your 20s, you're feeling great, right? Like your whole life's ahead of you, everything is positive. Mm-hmm. I understand that, but with that being said, um, you mentioned primary care, you know, you mentioned other avenues of intervention, medical marijuana. I put life coaching in the same in the same regard. You're trying these different resources to not really treat the root cause of what's going on, but to kind of maintain your symptoms. And a primary care physician or provider will look at you and say, okay, you have anxiety, you know what, let's give you some Zoloft or Prozac or even a benzodiazepine like the Xanax or Ritonatin, okay. Well, first off, has that patient been psychiatrically assessed? Is there underlying trauma? Is there a medical cause or concern, which is why primary care uh, physicians are the first one of intervention because they should look at, which they do, um, mm-hmm. is vitamin D deficient or thyroid levels imbalanced, right? We have to understand, first and foremost, is there a medical reason as to why the person's feeling this way? Mm-hmm. And if we can rule everything out there, okay, now let's work on the brain. It yeah. clearly is something pathological having, happening neurologically speaking, and let's address that. Now, the one thing I will say, once again, you know, we live in a world of instant gratification. We want results. You know, I thank Amazon for this, the two-day shipping method, right? So, <laughs>
0: yes. I, I have patients, Amazon.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. I have patients come in and say, you know, I'm I'm treatment for four days now. I'm not feeling better. I'm like, because it's a process. Healing takes time. Yes. And even the medication process takes time. Yeah. You cannot meet with somebody three four times and expect to have life-changing results. Yeah. You have to commit to something. And more importantly, think about how long you've suffered from whatever mental disorder you have. 90% of our patients come in here, they've had anxiety and depression for more than 12 months
0: yes. on average.
1: So if well, they've yes. had that... I like it. Correct. Exactly. So if your brain has subconsciously practiced being depressed and gotten better at it for a decade or whatever, however many years... It takes time to change that course of activity. And more importantly, um, it takes a lot of due diligence. Meeting with a provider, whether it's a psychiatrist or nurse practitioner or medical uh, physician assistant, whether it's meeting with a counselor working on specific therapy. If you suffer from PTSD, you know, have a counselor talk to you about things like EMDR, which are very trauma-based therapies. Um, That's what we really encourage to our patients. I've had patients come in here with severe PTSD. We've done TMS. They've had a 50% reduction in symptoms, but they're like, you know, I'm still feeling kind of like I can improve. And I'm like, great. That's where therapy comes in, you know, it's a yeah. next step approach. Um, yeah. And that's how it should be. Same with primary care. There should be a referral process. There should be a system in place. And the I will say with a lot of, of, of gratitude, the American Psychiatric Association is adapting these types of, of systems for the future as recommendations. They are understanding. They, they do see what's going on and they're aware of what we can do differently.
0: Yeah, it's um, amazing. So I work with a, a psychiatrist that's alternative that offers other modalities. You know, he has a, a massage therapist that works with trauma. He has a, right. a psychologist on, on board, and and all of that is so helpful because it's um it is a lot of work. It's never just one thing, and uh, it, it's hard for people to understand that. And and the reason that I I brought up the the primary care thing too is because people are that are especially people that are not in the medical industry that don't really understand the difference between the even the specialties. How many people have said, you know, psychiatrist, psychology, it's the same thing, but it's totally different. I hear it all the time. I'm going to see my psychologist to get my medication. I'm like, well, that's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I really think it's so important that people understand, especially the medical industry, hence why this will be on The Doctor Whisperer show as well, is that if you tell somebody that has depression, anxiety, OCD, that they are that they are anxious or that they have ADHD. They're Mm going to take that. Of course, they're going to go, well, that must be right, because you're my doctor. Correct. And I think that it's it's time. It's high time that especially in primary care, that we take um, uh, an understanding of how important it is when it comes to mental health, that we're referring to the right collaborators just like you said if somebody comes in and they are suffering with addiction or alcoholism you're not going to throw them into TMS right away you're going to send them out to either a detox or a rehab facility and get them the help they need and then maybe they'll come back after that because like me they'll suffer from depression because they realize that oh shoot i don't have alcohol or drugs anymore to deal with what i had right. now i have to find other resources so I'm really glad that you have this um, sister company of Advantage Mental Health. Can you briefly just mention what that is?
1: Sure, so, so with TMS Advantage, our office here in Clearwater and our second office in St. Pete, the office in Clearwater is attached to Advantage Mental Health. So it's one building, two offices. Mm-hmm. And the reason we've set it up this way um, is merely for the fact that we wanna have some comprehensive care. So we have two therapists, two nurse practitioners, um, actually hiring a third therapist as we speak, Um, and Dr. Rizzo, my partner, who's on that side of the practice as well, as a licensed psychiatrist. The reason we've incorporated this facet of what we do is because there has to be some follow-up psychiatric care, um, uh, or vertically integrated psychiatry, as we call it. So you're having a medication discussion post, pre and post TMS. You're having, whether it's a nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist. In addition to that, the, the staff, we do weekly staff meetings on our patients. So every week we talk about different cases. Okay, how is this patient doing with you? Great, what, what are they working on with counseling? Awesome. Is the medication being adjusted? That explains why they're feeling this way. So on our end, we don't have to go through this release of records to contact other provider. We can do it in-house and really be on top of our patient's uh, psychiatric care, which I think is important. And then touch on something you just mentioned about diagnosis. You know, uh, when, when a patient's diagnosed, they feel that label is on Forever. Them. And I have to remind the general public, that does not mean that is who you are.
0: Amen, brother.
1: <laughs> it's what you're feeling. That's if someone right. says, I'm anxious, no, you are feeling anxious. That is not who you are. And, right. and, and people, and listen, th- physicians are humans. Nurse practitioners are humans too. Therapists are humans. We make mistakes. Yes. We may see something differently. One provider may say, I see bipolar. One provider may say, I see PTSD. And what ends up happening is, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen this, the patient will say, yeah, I, I was told I had bipolar, and I guess I do. But I was also told I had PTSD, and I don't know if that makes sense. And I'm like, let's just let's just wipe the slate clean for slate. a second. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, so advanced mental health, you know, that's one of our, our goals is keeping us comprehensive and make sure we can focus on objective care even after TMS or even before as well.
0: Right. I mean, I it's so interesting because the 2019 when I put the book out, um, I haven't had I haven't suffered from depression, clinical depression since I was 21. Mm-hmm. But there are only two things that I'm scared of in the world. Number one is depression.
1: Sure.
0: Number two, now that I live in Florida are hurricanes. Okay. <laughs> so I, I'm so mindful of that, that it is my practice, my daily practice to prevent ever going back to how i felt so i will do whatever it takes i will have a background that looks like a forest mm-hmm. i will you know go out in nature i will run i will exercise i will eat right because all of this is important it is not just one thing i think we said that enough today but I really, the, whatever story that you tell yourself will take energy out from your mouth so if wow. you are telling yourself that story every day that this is who you are and this is why you act that way i promise you That's how you are going to be for life, and I think that it's very important knowing that you have um, a more holistic, a more uh, treating the whole person approach. Um, You're not just here to, you know, TMS
1: pushers. (laughs) That's that's the goal. The
0: goal is to for patient care. Yeah,
1: yeah, hundred percent
0: patient care.
1: Quality over quantity. That's how anything in life should be approached, no matter what you're doing, whether it's you know, uh, buying lunch or um, making a decision on buying a home, right? I I think you look at it from any perspective. If your approach has always been about the quality perspective, um, especially when it comes to your health, physical and mental, then you'll do what's right for yourself and for those that you love.
0: So for all of you who were not privy to the conversation that we had before I hit record today, you should all feel good knowing that this gentleman that I've been speaking to for the last half hour has a great passion for people getting better. And I think that that's one of the things that we might be lacking today, that there's no passion behind the service that is being provided in the healthcare industry. So I'm always happy to promote anybody that is interested in really making a difference and really making an impact, especially today in the world that we're living in. We need more um, advocates and more providers to really take a stance and um, and treat patients the way they deserve to be, patient, to be treated. It's no longer a treat them and treat them mentality. That's actually a bad one, right?
1: <laughs> I appreciate that, Sharon. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So
0: thank you. so much for being here today.
1: No problem. I just wanted to let you know, we also do published research. Um, we are part of Clinical TMS Society. So if anybody's interested in learning more about our research, we do have some of our data on our website, and we will have more research coming out this year. So um, we are eager to publish and, and share our, our studies and, and what we're seeing on our end. And that's where the passion really comes in. So. I thank you for for saying that, and I really appreciate this opportunity, Sharon. It's wonderful. Yeah,
0: and all of the information to get to uh, the published information is going to be on our show notes, so be sure to click and do do your homework, people. Do your homework. (laughs) Don't tell that story of what that one primary care told you about yourself. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review or share it with somebody you know and care about that would benefit from listening. But more importantly, if you are thinking about advertising your business in the year 2021, sponsoring a podcast is major. 44% of people pay more attention to advertising on podcasts than any other media. And 37% agree that advertising on a podcast is actually the best way to reach them. 70% have considered a new product or service after hearing an ad on a podcast. And I'm one of those people. And this is all according to Edison Research. Don't believe me. Believe the research. So if you're interested in sponsoring, give us a shout.